what is up everyone i hope you are doing well on april 21st <laughs> one of these days when i'm gonna get the date right on the first guest but my name is rafael garcia and i'm here with Shawn humes for episode 201 201 of the mma ratings podcast we've been gone for a couple weeks i've been under the weather it's been on my fault but we're back to talk about MMA and combat sports. But before we do, let me throw it on over to Schwan. Why don't you say hello, sir? Let everybody know how you're doing. Uh, same as usual, just busy. Got Kids will be graduating soon. Um, it's surprising. A lot of them, all of them got scholarship offers to play basketball. But, like, none of them have, like, I guess they're just burnt out on it. They don't really want to go. And I'm like, you better take that free money while you got it. But... You know, outside of that, yeah, I told him, I was like, you might not want to do it, but think of, you're going to be working at some job you don't want to work at anyways to pay for your school. So you might as well do something that'll cover more bases, maybe get you some connections, get you further along. But I'm old, nobody wants to listen to me, so. Make them do it, man, because I decided not to wrestle in college. And while I enjoyed it, I still miss some of those days. So it is what you, it is. Oh, you, you. You were that good? I need to do some research on Rafael Garcia. I was good enough. I was good enough. College, that's tough, man. I've I've never wrestled, obviously, but I've sparred a lot of wrestlers and grab that college that college wrestling grind. Hell, that high school wrestling grind ain't for me. No, nah, man. Me and I, and I knew that nah, early. I knew that real early. So let's hop into the show. But before we do, I want to thank everybody that's taking the time to join us along this journey of two hundred. One episodes. As always, you can catch us on our flagship MMARatings.net or .com. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter, MMARatings.net. You can check us out across all podcast platforms, MMARatings, and on YouTube at MMARatings as well. Myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports and Swan Hume. You can catch him at Black Jordan Breen. So we want to thank you for taking the time to check out our content listen to our shows, share our work, and, um, yeah, everything that you've done so far throughout our journey. So, Shua, you know we got to talk thriller, right? Yes, sir. First question, did you watch live, yes or no? Uh, I actually saw it on YouTube. Somebody was watching it through YouTube trying to get their subscribers up, so I just watched it. I didn't what was your it. first impressions? Um, the show overall was very chaotic and not very well-timed. The fight, the main event, I want to say it was stunning, but it's like, it, it was pretty, even even I thought Ben Askren had a chance to win, I wasn't surprised by the fact that Jake Paul knocked him out in the first round. So let, we're going to talk about the fights, and fights, themselves, the fights yeah. themselves in a minute. Is this the future of boxing? Is this where we're headed? And the reason why I asked that, they did between, depending on who you ask, one for 1.6 million pay-per-view box. Do you think this is where we are headed? Because I, I've only saw this point brought up in one, one comment. But somebody mentioned that the number of reported buys for this show is like 120th the number of YouTube followers that Jake Paul has. Wow. So are we looking at a space where these big, these bigger cards like this with all this pomp and circumstance is the direction that we're headed? Um, the reason I I don't know if it's sustainable for, for a couple reasons. One, everybody just used, like Clarissa Shields was on Twitter. She's like, boxers use your social media, blah, 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 blah. That's all well and nice, but that's after the fact. The main thing that this works for Logan Paul and Jake Paul is because they built up a social media following before they ever took a step forward into the aspects of boxing. Ryan Garcia is a guy who's worked social media, but even he hasn't had as much because he's obviously training. Jake Paul and them don't have time to really generate content the way they used to. They have teams now. They have squads of people who take care of it because they're multi-million dollar industries, so they can focus on boxing. Most boxers don't have the resources or the time to compete at a high level and build up the kind of following you need to translate over to this. And that's why everybody who's trying to do it now is playing catch up. You're not going to get to where they're at because you haven't put five, six, ten years of your life 
and every bit of money and every bit of time you had into build, building a successful social media empire where you're making money at. I can see them using this a little bit more, like a, a more looser version of it, because all it is is just getting eyes. They're doing whatever they can to get eyes on the product. That makes sense. And the product's not even that good. It's just getting eyes on the product. It doesn't matter if it's a quality matchup. It doesn't matter if it's good fighters. It just matters about names, who's going to show up, and who signs on for that. So can boxing follow that to a degree? Yes. But to a certain degree, there's a lack of professionalism and there's a lack of um, order that just doesn't work when you're talking about a whole card full of high-level type boxing fights. Like, they would have to scale some of that back. Some of that just isn't working. But... When you say scale it back, what do they scale back? Do they cut some of the performances? Do they cut some of the money that they're spending on somebody? Like uh, Frank Mir got 300K for his fight. Do they look for lesser known talents to fight? What do they cut back on? Well, I mean, they have like, there are sometimes like hour waits between fights. There's no need to have that far much of a wait between it. And some of the acts, they had acts that are names. But how many of those acts are really like just stand out, stand out high level artists? The only person I knew, well, I know who Doja Cat is. Like yeah. If she walked, if she walked into my apartment right now, I had no idea who the hell she is, but I know that name. Yes. Um, Sweetie, Swati, whatever her name is, whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know who that is at all. She, like, she's no more for dating one of the Migos than she is for actual music. Dude, I barely even knew that Migos was a group. I thought it was one fucking person. But that's another whole other conversation for another day. So I am not I'm not that target audience. I'm not. I hate to say it, but I'm not. So <laughs> they're, gonna, they're gonna say, Raphael, you, the Migos is here. And you they'll be like they'll you'll say, I saw the Migos. Well, which one did you see? Wait, it's more than one person? Well, <laughs> listen, I've had that whole conversation. I did not You can't come to my house, that's man. My kids, my kids, my kids, my kids will be roasting you. You can't I, come I, here. I, Don't do it to yourself. That's that's neither here nor there. No, no, we're not getting off this topic, Raphael. We ain't getting off this topic so quickly. Look, I am not the the target audience for some of these acts that they had on Triller on Saturday. I will go ahead and and say I can barely tell Logan and Jake Paul apart from each other. Barely. And I I mean, never, never in my life will I be able to tell those two guys apart. I don't even know which one's the older one. Because which one's the older one? Logan, right? Uh, yeah, Logan. He's he's the more reasonable. He's the one who actually seems like a reasonable, responsible, functional adult. Jake seems like an idiot. I mean, they both seem like idiots to me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, at the end of the day, how is there a good mix that they can that they can have this kind of a music festival ish type event with? combat sports mixed in you you can do it but you can't the whole the only reason this works is because jake's paul jake paul is such a huge name and ben Askren, even though he's not a huge name as far as a superstar he's a huge name in mma he's a real fighter it brings attention that's the only reason it works even with nate robinson nate robinson wasn't a superstar but people all over the world know who nate robinson is just for his basketball so it's like if you have enough interest you, you have a big enough name you can pull something like this off, but all the acts, all that other nonsense, that requires you to have a main event or a couple fights under the main event that are going to draw large amounts of attention. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones, that would draw tons of attention. Um, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren, that would draw tons of attention. Jake Paul versus BJ Penn. Jake Paul versus any remotely known legitimate fighter is going to draw attention. It's all based off of who Jake Paul is. Most boxing, Most boxers don't have that kind of clout. They don't have that kind of name, so they so you could never pull this off of them because they don't they, they don't have a big enough fan base. Teofimo Lopez couldn't do this on his own. Even he's fighting on Triller. He's he's an undercard fight under another circus or old old guy's fight. He's not even the lead person on the card because he would not sell. He's on there to legitimize it. We have a legitimate fighter on there, but he ain't bringing no pay per view sales. This this actually benefits him more than it benefits Triller because the attention is coming in on the lesser known fighters and the past their prime fighters. So for you to do this in an actual boxing contest or even a mixed martial arts contest, you need a huge draw. You need a Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez. That's the only way this works. And with all the money they spent getting Snoop, getting all these 
actors, people to pay and work as analysts and shows, you better sell over a million buys. You you can't have that. You can't spend that kind of money and, and go three hundred thousand. You cannot. You have to go over a million. Just even come close to making your money back. Man, John Lineker just knocked the guy stiff over in over in one. Oh, but, he can still punch. Yeah, he just slept somebody pretty badly too. Like stone, like rigor mortis slept him. But um, Jake Paul, back to him. Who should he fight next? Is there anybody that comes to mind? He's three and zero. He hasn't fought an actual boxer at this point in time. What he's a striker. Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. He hasn't fought an actual striker. What do you do with the next? Who do you put him in there with? First of all, I have I have to make a statement. I thought Ben Askren had a chance to win just for the fact that when I've seen Jay Paul fight, he swings wide, swings big. He often ends up in clinches against Nate Robinson. Ended up in clinches against I don't know the other YouTube guy. He ended up in clinches. So and I thought it was very possible he ended up a clinch. Askren could just hang around for a couple of rounds, maybe get him later. But I also said if it comes out to an open space fight, Jake Paul's a great athlete. He's probably about twenty to thirty pounds heavier than than Askren as far as being in shape and heavy. And that's a bigger issue. And then he's actually a better boxer. He's an idiot, but he's a very smart idiot because he's turned his side at his antics and his craziness into a way to need to set himself and his family up for success. But outside of that, he can box a little bit. He's not a world-class boxer. I know I I probably sparred, I sparred better people than him. I, I just have. He's, he's not great, but he's a good athlete. He's big, he's strong. He understands the fundamentals of boxing like anybody would if you committed 100% of your time to boxing for two years, you would, I'd be better, you'd be better. So it's impressive in the sense that he has no reason to do this outside of, you know, making money, but he was already making money before. So I'm impressed by that. But if you spent two years in boxing, you would look good. You would look competent. If I spent two years boxing straight, right, I'd be competent too. So the thing is, do we put him in with somebody who can knock him out? And if we put him in with that kind of guy, what kind of payday would it have to be for, for him to risk a loss? And Tyrone Woodley isn't going to be something like that. He would want a Daniel Cormier. Um, BJ Penn would draw on a lot of people, even though Penn's way past his prime. I don't know that D- Dylan Dennis generates enough interest at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure who you put him in with because right now he's the money guy, and they're not going to put him in with a dangerous guy unless there is a huge upside as far as the finances. Getting knocked out by Tyron Woodley isn't going to do much for his brand. Now, if he could fight, get a Floyd Mayweather fight, or even like an Adrian Broner type fight, that he would get paid. He loses those. Yeah, but but he would get paid tremendously. That would be him stepping up to one to a guy who is at least world class at some point. Everybody will tune in to see that. All the people who are sick of his act will tune in because they know he's going to get whooped. So everybody's going to buy that pay per view because you know, and the people who are his fans are going to say, "Well, he already beat a pro fighter." Adrian Broner hasn't looked as good as he used to. People said he shot. Maybe Jake Paul can get him out of there. You know, that would generate interest. But it, the only way he's going to risk losing is against a guy who could generate enough money to make it worth his while to lose. And there's not enough of those guys out there. Otherwise, they wouldn't be chasing him. The guys he'd have to fight who would make, make it worth the risk are guys he'd have to chase. Maybe a Conor McGregor, maybe a Nate Diaz, maybe an Adrian Broner, someone of that nature. The guys who are chasing him, they're safe picks because he's most likely going to win and he's going to get paid doing it. So I don't know who he fights. He's got a lot of offers. He's got a lot of interest. Um, but I, I think his team is going to move him carefully and only put him in against guys, a guy who could beat him if that guy is going to make him a huge payday. Jorge Masvidal, he might take a fight like that. That would be a huge card. That would be huge. But they're friends, so I guess that will never happen. Um, How do we get him to Conor uh, McGregor? I wouldn't mind GSP, actually. That would be pretty cool. Um, how do we get him? To, how many more fights does he have to win to get to that? I don't know, man. I mean, he'd have to beat at least another a, a younger active fighter for that to even show up on McGregor's McGregor's uh, field because it's a big risk. I think McGregor would beat him, but the guy's still going to come in thirty to forty pounds heavier than him. The guy still can punch a little bit, so there's always that risk. It's not like in grappling where you can't just hold somebody. You have to have a certain skill level. Your your athleticism will not outla- outlast skill and technique and strategy over the length of time. In boxing, you get hit once, and that's it. You have to be so good to avoid that. I don't know what it would take to get Conor McGregor in. I really have no idea. He already makes hundreds of millions every time he fights. He's got a bunch of 
money coming in from different projects. I don't know what it would take for him to have to, to him step in with Jake Paul. Maybe if if the fans just demanded it. Let's say he beats Dustin Poirier and the fans just demand that he fights this man. Maybe, but if that's the case, he can go fight Manny Pacquiao and make twice as much money. It'd be more risky, but he'd make twice as much. And if he loses, there's no shine off of him because he lost to one of the all-time great boxers and a guy who recently beat another top top three, top five boxer in Keith Thurman for a title and beat Adrian Broner. So he can make more money against Pacquiao and, and doesn't affect his career at all if he loses or he struggles. Jake Paul is a risk either way. I mean, it just is. Okay, so before we move on from that shit show last Saturday, what was your favorite moment of the night? Um, I guess, I guess the, my favorite and my best, it was my, the best moment and the worst. Oscar De La Hoya seemed like he was off his rocker. That's <laughs> what he was saying. But it was sad because I forgot for a minute that he had a drug and substance abuse issue. So I'm like, if he's really just spiraling because he's on something, that's terrible. But in the same instance, he was just being so opposite. of Oscar's always been very particular in how he presents himself, how he talks, very controlled, very politically correct. So to see Oscar like wilding out was like, it was funny, dude. More people were talking about Oscar and they were talking about the fights. I was like, I, couldn't, I was calling people like, what the fuck is De La Hoya? I know people who, knew, who know him. I'm like, what the fuck is your boy on? People are like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, he he's definitely a talking point coming out of uh, Saturday. For me, Pete Davidson was absolutely hilarious. When he, like, right from the jump, he was roasting everyone. And I'm here for that. Pete Davidson was my highlight. Like, I want to know more about that guy. You know, I, 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 I didn't catch a whole lot of his, his stuff because I was kind of in and out of it. But I will admit, a lot of people told me they're like, he's speaking for like the rational fan, the rational sportsman, the person who under, understands the ridiculous in all this. And even though he's getting paid by them, he's still calling it straight. And they don't, they're like, I don't know if they're paying him to say this or he's just not going to. Yeah, he's just going off the rails. But if he is, if, if he's calling it straight, I respect him immensely because he could just, oh, this is a great athletic event. He's like, nah, this is some bullshit. And and if that's the way, then I have a lot of respect for that dude. If that's he really called it the way he saw it, I respect him immensely because he ain't had no reason to say that shit. He ain't no reason to that on us. He's going off the rails, my man. So let's talk about Saturday, where we have UFC 261 with three big title fights. We're gonna start right at the top with Kamar Usman versus Jorge Masvidal, their second matchup. Masvidal. Uh, excuse me, Usman won the first 50-45. Masvidal came in on six days' notice. So he came in with that built-in excuse, as Usman put it. Swan, how do you see this fight going? In theory, it should go the way it went the first time. And that would be the safest bet, to be honest. Usman's safest bet to not get an extended changes on the feet, not make it a high-paced fight, just wrestle him, hold him up against the cage, Grind him out because, for all intents and purposes, as good a counter wrestler and defensive wrestler as Masvidal can be at times, there should really be no way that he can consistently defend takedowns, work submissions from the bottom, or get back up against Usman over the period of five rounds. If we're talking about the best and safest route to victory, this is what Usman should do. My main reason I think the fight could go different is because one of Usman's biggest advantages is when guys haven't faced him before, they have no point of reference. Everybody talks about how strong he was as they get in, how his pace, his physicality, and there doesn't seem to be like a lot of guys who have the athleticism and the size and the strength to replicate what he brings to the cage. So a lot of guys get caught off guard. Jorge Masvidal's already faced that at basically maybe 50, 60% cardio, 60% preparation. I mean, not even 60% as far as strategy and game plan. So he's aware of that. Usman won't have that big shock, won't have that big shock advantage of, oh man, he's stronger than I thought. Oh, I can't move this guy the way I thought. Oh, I can't get out of spots. Jorge Masvidal's got a good read on all that. For Usman to do much better or replicate his technique, his setups, his entries, and his ability to gain a whole position have got to get a lot better. Technically, he's going to have to, He's going to have to have taken a step forward to build on that, that performance because his athletic advantages are all already familiar to Masvidal. Um, 
I really see this fight going one of two ways. Masvidal either has him figured out and lands a big counter early and puts him away because Usman's it's not hard to get to Usman early. A lot of guys have. A lot of people get to Usman in spots. Desanos did. Colby um, Covington did. Most recently, Gilbert Burns almost got him out of there. But the only problem with Jorge Masvidal is he's not really consistent in his offense in any fights you watch. Defensively, he's confis- consistent. He defends takedowns very well. He defends on the ground, slips, slides, ties you up on the feet. He slips, shoulder rolls, parries, blocks, gets under shots. But you don't often see him return fire. Even when he's in shape, he does not consistently return fire. And if he's not consistently returning fire and consistently making Usman pay, I don't see any way that he can beat him. Because I know he can knock somebody out with any one shot, but Usman's shown a good chin. He's shown decent recovery. And if you're focusing purely on just rolling and slipping and turning – you're not getting any of that power shots off. Or when you do fire, it's very telegraphed and obvious. So I'd have to see Jorge do something I haven't seen a lot of him. That's to have him have him fight a hard one through five rounds. And generally, he doesn't fight a hard three rounds or five rounds. He picks his spots. It's just he's so good defensively and in encountering positions and stopping takedowns that it seems like he's a lot busier than he is. But in actuality, he really only fights like a really hard round and a half. The rest of it is just being slick, controlling position and in, in, in angles and uh, and basically putting a threat out there so you won't up your work rate to get at him. It's, he's not nearly as busy as you think he is. He just has big spots of offense. And I don't think that's enough to, to get by to get by Usman. It, Have it, you seen anything different in Usman's game since that first fight against Masvidal that you think he'll bring to the table? No, I mean, anything he's shown would just make the fight more difficult. If he wants to get into a stand-up exchange with Masvidal, that's not going to be easy. Masvidal's a slicker fighter. Usman has shown growth, but the fact of the matter is, early on, he's easy to hit. He's fairly robotic in what he's doing. He's very clear on what he's trying to do and the spots he's trying to get to. And defensively, as far as landing slick counters, he's not very slick at all. He'll counter you. But he's there for the shot. If you're a smart enough striker, you'll hit him with a shot. He'll just take it and come back. You won't hit him with every shot, but you'll hit him with a lot of shots. And he'll take it and come back. Masvidal is actually slipping, rolling, and stepping off at angles and making it very hard for you to put shots together or to get in the positions you want to get. The only thing is, like I said, he doesn't fire back enough consistently. He'll fire a big one, two, maybe a big one, two, three, maybe just a big one. But he doesn't consistently put shots together, so it's hard for him to break guys down over the length of three rounds or five rounds. Usually he'll just have a big spot of offense, and that's enough to turn the fight. Happened against Hill, happened against Askren, happened against Cowboy Cerrone. When fights have gone longer, i.e. Usman, i.e. Wonderboy, you didn't see the cleanliness of that. You didn't, you didn't really see the cleanliness of that. Even against Nate Diaz, he was whooping Nate Diaz's ass, but as the fight was going on, you started seeing his work rate dip. Mm-hmm. So um, if Usman decides he's, he's going to make it a point to put a stamp on this and really punish him, he's just opening himself up to being countered himself. He's opening himself up to get to being hit by those, lead, those big counters. Um, Burns isn't half the striker Masvidal is. He's not defensively half the striker uh, Masvidal is. Neither is he accurate or his balance. So if he wants to force a stand-up exchange, there will be a price for that in spots. But if he just wants to keep it safe, get into your spots, use the strikes to set it up, Get your hands on them, clinch them, lean on them, tie them up. doesn't matter if you hurt them. Just take them down and wear them out. Because we, we know that Masvidal is not going to fight a hard – he's not going to fight or wrestle a hard five rounds. And even in the context of just being defensive, Usman puts so much pressure on you and he's so physically strong that eventually that's going to chip into your gas tank already. And this is for a guy who doesn't fight a hard five rounds, hard three to five rounds anyways. So I, I would see Usman just out-positioning him and grinding him out again. But Usman says he wants to build on that performance, which means he wants to be impressive. And when you're trying to look impressive and you're a guy who's not defensively really sound or slick, in my opinion, that's a recipe for disaster. Because mm-hmm. he's in a bad position. Masvidal will finish him. If Masvidal would have had him where Burns was, Masvidal would have finished him. That's a good point. Um, Dana White has said Kobe Covington is the next man up already for the winner of Saturday's main event. Who was he rooting for on Saturday? Um, I feel like Kobe Covington thinks he's the money guy, so he doesn't need Masvidal. So he doesn't need a name. He feels like he draws enough attention on his own, so he doesn't need a name. I would think he'd want Usman because Usman's been a 
definitive dominant champion. For some reason, Colby and Masvidal have never seemed to really want to fight each other. They talked about it a lot. I'll break your jaw. He's a fake and he's a phony. But both guys have been inactive. They could have fought each other before they fought Usman. You know, at this point, it, it, it'd be a fight that would have to happen. But neither one seems particularly enamored with fighting one another. I understand because Colby Covington is high volume, high pace, high physicality. Masvidal is a guy who fights in spots. And Colby Covington, once again, by being so high volume and high pace, he sets himself up for big counters and big punishment. So fighting a guy like Masvidal, he knows he's going to get lit up because Masvidal might only throw three or four when you're throwing that 15, but those three or four are going to land clean as fuck. So I see why both guys have issues with the matchup, but um, I don't think he has a preference, to be honest. I, if he has a preference, I'll say Marty. I'll say Usman. I'm calling him Marty from Nebraska, like Ben Askren. I'll say Usman because Usman's got a win over him, and a win over Usman kind of projects him, makes up for the loss, and makes him kind of, not a bigger star, but it makes him more legitimized to guys who are still questioning him and saying he's more of an actor than an actual fighter to beat the most dominant welterweight champion we've had in a few years. Woodley defended the title, but he never looked impressive. Usman has looked increasingly more impressive against a variety of skill sets and strategies. Good point. The UFC, the UFC will win Masvidal, Covington. But um, Covington, I don't think he really cares. I actually have a question for you, though. As a, you grapple a lot, you wrestle a lot. I, I don't know personally. I know just sparring people, there's been a certain toll on my body. And I've never been regular enough for it to re- really feel that. But you wrestle competitively. You grapple competitively. At what point, because they've said Usman can't really run. He has pain when he walks on certain services. At what point does that grind you put your body through for the first 15, 20 years start impacting you in a sport like this where everything can turn in a blink of an eye? Um, that's a great question. I feel like it varies for Per person like I'm 37 and I don't have as much pain as some people do um, I have some but not as much but looking at somebody in Usman's position who has much more miles on his body than me it may it may already be there at that point so it's kind of it's, it's a by person basis um, but I'm sure he has some daily aches and pains that he uh, struggles with I just keep wondering because he's 34, but I got to figure he's got to be like an old 34. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his, a lot of his success is that physicality, that strength, that durability. And when you've had so much to put your body under so much to rest, that could go overnight. I mean, was that issue, was that thing with Burns? Was that something that was just a flash thing? Or if he gets hit again, is he going to get dropped again? I mean, hell, you know, we just talked about Ben Askren. He's not even 40, and he had a hip replaced. Yeah, there you go. That says a lot. Like, that is like when you're in your 60s type of surgery. He's not even 40. Let me see how old Ben Ashford is. I think he's 30. Is he 34 or 37? Somewhere in between there. He's not old at all. Look, I don't even think he's 40 years old yet. I, I don't think so either. I, 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 he can't be old in 37. Um... Ben Askren is 36. Dude, I'm older than him. And he's had a hip replace. Yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying. Like, Usman said he can't really run anymore. There's certain things he can't do anymore. And I'm like, you're, a lot of your style, obviously, he's getting better the skill set. His striking is a little bit cleaner, more accurate, more efficient. His wrestling melds with the striking a little bit better, so he doesn't expose him defensively. But at some point, if he loses half a step or a quarter of a step athletically, or in regards to his durability, He's not the kind of fighter that can manage that. Not in not not in the moment over a period of time. Yes, in the moment, I don't I don't know what happens to a guy like that. And he it's 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 been something people have talked about since he's gotten to the UFC. I heard about his physical issues like three years ago. They can't have gotten better. It's just you're managing them at this point. You're not getting physically better. You're most likely slowing the decline or just plateauing. At what point does that become a investment? the returns aren't enough to balance out the investment you're putting in. Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with that. Um, let's talk about this co in a bit. We have Wally Zhang defending against Rose Namajunas. And Rose, better to be dead than red, Namajunas? So we're going to talk about that in a second <laughs> because that has to be talked about. She was a fan favorite until that. I think this is a very interesting 
fight for a lot of different reasons. And while a lot of people are rallying behind Zhang, and I understand why, I think she has a tough test in Rose, who is much longer and knows how to use that length very well. Uh, Swan, how do you see this fight going down? You know, I, I never thought about this, so I just thought about this recently. Rose Namajunas is, a, is like a higher level Uriah Hall. Like, they have the same issue. Physically, they have size, length, agility, fluidity, explosiveness, power. They can actually physically take a fair amount of abuse. But sometimes in the toughest fights, mentally, something happens and they, they're not able to execute the way they want to execute. And that's really been the crux of every one of Rose Namajunas' wins or losses. I, always, I compare it to kind of like a Mikey Garcia. He's a boxer. Every key summer, Mikey's such a great technician. Skills are so sharp. His footwork, his placement, his positioning, his defense. It is very good. But a lot of it is very good because his power allows him to dictate the, the, the amount of exchanges, the tone of exchanges, the intensity of exchanges, and the volume of exchanges, all because he hits so hard. When his power is not enough to scare somebody off, you start seeing cracks in his defense. You start seeing cracks in his offense. You start seeing cracks in his counter. You start seeing some holes mentally that you don't normally see because his power sets the table for everything else he does. Rose Namunas is probably pound for pound no worse than second, probably second, number two, maybe number three on the list of pound for pound women power, power-wise. She's, she's a dynamic, explosive, punishing fighter, and most people who make it through rounds with her is because they're not their level of engagement begins to decline as they realize how, what, what she's hitting them with. Um, and plus, she's such a grappler. When she drops somebody, she'll just finish them instead of just pounding them out. So the question becomes, is Rose's power enough to back slow Wiley down or outright knock her out? If it is, then she's, she's going to win the fight. Because if you're hesitant in coming out to Rose, her, her length, her footwork, her timing, her placement is just going to break you down over the over the over the duration of the fight. It's either going to stop you or you're just going gonna to build up a huge lead and you won't be able to make it up. But if you can't do that, then Wiley's, her physicality and her pace and the volume she throws at is going to break Rose down. It's the same thing that happened to Rose against Carolina Kovacavich. It's the same thing that happened against Jessica Andrade in the first fight. It's the same thing that happened against Carla Esparza. Same thing that happened against Tisha Torres in her first fight. Same thing that almost happened against Jessica Andrade in the second fight. When it gets to extended exchanges and she has to catch as good as she gives, she tends, it seems like mentally she's downshifts and physically she starts getting a little gun shy and being unwilling to bite down and pay the price necessary to get the work done. Wiley doesn't have that problem. Wiley's been willing to bite down, up her volume, up her physicality, and up her pace every single round and every single fight. The question I have for her is she hasn't faced a power puncher yet. She beat up Tisha Torres and Joanna, Joanna's not a power. Nobody she's fought is a power puncher. Nobody, Nobody fought. Huh? Nobody who has fought. Wiley. Andrade's a power puncher. I mean, she got Andrade out there before she could land a shot. So, I mean, we don't know what her chin is really like. We haven't seen it tested. There's no way she gets Rose Namajunas out of here without catching hell for at least a round and a half. That ain't happening. So, the, it basically comes down. Can Rose hurt her badly enough to make to force her back? Or can she put her out? If she can, fight's hers. If she cannot, if that if it goes in this late second round, and this girl is still putting pressure and she's throwing, she's attacking multiple levels, she's building momentum, she's upping her pace and her volume, then based historically, Rose is going to crumble. Rose is Rose is gonna crumble. But if she can't do that, or she starts getting defensive because she realizes that fire is too hot, then Rose is gonna walk her down. And she's either going to slowly take over to a decision win or she's going to knock her out or submit her after she gets to hurt. It's really the only two ways they can go to it. I can talk about Rose's ability at range, her length, her kicking technique, her boxing technique, how it's better than Wiley's. But then I'd also have to talk about how Wiley gets better round after round after she finds her groove and starts ramping up her momentum. She gets sharper as her volume and her pace goes up. She just She's not very sharp just to get off. A lot of, it, a lot of her early problems is she leans on her durability and her aggression to get her through the first couple rounds against mostly everybody. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the one, those one or two things. Will Rose be able to extend those exchanges and punish her enough to take over the fight? Or if she can't, while they should, in fact, run her over. 
because Rose has never really won ever extended, extended, extended exchanges. And she's never initiated the exchanges. She's used to going pop, 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 and you step off. And then she steps in because you're coming at her. She doesn't initiate exchanges. If she did, she would be Carolina Kovacavich, but she doesn't initiate them because she doesn't want to get in them in my in my estimation. So that that's really what the fight's going to go. The power and physicality. Um, or, or do we get a stoppage of, of, of some, some sort? I really think there's going to be a stoppage. I, I, I think there's going to be a stoppage either way. Um, I, I don't know who's going to get stopped. I just I don't see this fight going going five rounds because Wiley's going to continue to put pressure. If, it, if, if Rose is outboxing her and her power is an issue, the only way Wiley's going to be able to turn the fight is if she's willing to bite down and walk through fire and go take nuclear warheads to get her shots in. She's going to have to. And if the fight isn't going the way Rose wants it, then what's going to happen is Wiley's pace and her physicality is going to start wearing on Rose, and Rose is going to have to either capitulate or she's going to have to ex- expose herself in extended ranges. Rose does not want ugly fights. Rose does not enjoy ugly fights. She's Her whole skill set and her approach is built to control the pace and the place of the fight. If a fight gets out of hand, historically speaking, she has not won any of those fights. When she's had to take as good as she gets, what fight of those has she won? Name me one. She's lost every single one of them when it's come down to that. So if it comes down to that, I don't know how she makes it out five rounds. She never had to fight a hard three or a hard five without being in control because her power, her length, and her technique allow her to take leads, sit on them, and build on them. When she has been able to sit on a lead and build on it, she has not won a fight. She didn't do it against Carolina. She didn't do it against Andrade. She didn't get to do it against Tisha Torres in the first fight. She didn't do it against Carla Esparza. She has never done that. And I, I have no reason to believe she can. She did it kind of sort of against Jessica Andrade, but Jessica was fighting the more restrained fight, trying not to get knocked out because she got knocked out in her previous fight. I don't know that Wiley is willing to do that. Wiley's, Wiley hasn't been knocked out. I don't think she fears being knocked out. And I think if she's behind, she's going to ramp up the pace and be like, well, let's just see what it's about. Okay, okay. So you mentioned Andrade. She's getting another title shot on Saturday. Is this her third? Uh, uh, yeah, third overall. Two at strawweight, and this will be her first at flyweight. There we go. And she is fighting against Valentina Shevchenko. So we talked about Andrade having power, but Valentina has power and acute technique, like precision-based technique. A lot of people are looking at Shevchenko to pick Andrade apart. I kind of feel like that's the same same um, hypothesis. I have coming in, in, in into this fight, but Shawan, how do you see it going down? Well, I have two concerns. First, on Shevchenko, I'm so supposed to have an article coming out MMA ratings that'll build on this more. But my issue with Shevchenko is this, and it, a shout out to Heavy Hands Podcast, uh, Evil Greg Jackson, Phil McKenzie, uh, King Typo, Connor Rebush. They've had this discussion, and I've had it before, but they've had it on the show and talked about it extensively. Valentina is a technician. She's a world class striker. She's a world class athlete in mixed martial arts. I don't know overall, but when you face people of a certain caliber athletically, she's not the same destroyer or aggressive counterpuncher she is with lesser athletes. You see her fight Caitlin Chukagan. You saw her fight Jessica I, and the the quickness those counters came out with and the devastating nature of them were way different than when she fought Jennifer Maya and Liz Carmouche. And somebody could tell me, well, Liz Carmouche didn't engage. Well, that's true. But we've seen Valentina actively and aggressively counter anything from people she doesn't view as a threat. Liz Carmouche may not be a striking threat, but Liz Carmouche is still one of the better athletes, one of the more physically stronger fighters in women's mixed martial arts. She doesn't want to get into grappling exchanges with her extensive ones. She doesn't want to get extensive clinches and back and forth where they're pushing and pulling. Against uh, Jennifer Maya, those counters, even I know she came off an injury, but she didn't look the same kind of fighter. She didn't let her hands go quite as frequently. She wasn't opening up, like, when she took Cachoeira down, bam, bam, elbow, elbow, punch, punch, knee, knee. When she took Maya down, she's fighting for control. She wants to make sure she has a clear set control position before she opens up because she realizes there's a threat. She's only, she, she's very careful in her exchanges. When she fought Amanda Nunes in the second fight, you had Amanda Nunes on the ropes in the first fight. The second fight, 
her volume was down. The power she put on her shots were down. She was just trying to find, she was trying to tightrope act because she knew there was a price to pay with Nunes. Same way she knew in the first fight when Nunes almost finished her and Nunes gassed herself. She understands when there's a real threat in front of her. And when there's a real threat in front of her, she doesn't fight the same because she understands it's not just her capable of knocking somebody out, throwing somebody down, or imposing her will. This person can do it back to her. And that person can make her work harder than she wants to work. And that person can actually physically harm her. And that's her whole approach to fighting. The only issue with this on Jessica Andrade's aspect is, one, Jessica Andrade is holding his volume, which means she's going to be there for counters all night long. Rose Namajunas landed on her. Angela, everybody who's thrown a punch in Jessica Andrade has landed a punch in Jessica Andrade. Her defense is that bad because she's so determined to get her shots off. Secondly, she's a straw weight. She still can manhandle girls with this weight, but she doesn't ragdoll them like she used to. There were a couple moments in that Chukagan fight where Chukagan held her own a little bit when they tied up. When Chukagan hit her, she didn't just walk through the shots like she did at a weight class down. So you can get her attention a little bit more. And her physical strength isn't as overwhelming a factor. So now you sit there and it's more of a level playing field. But even in a level playing field, Valentina Shevchenko doesn't like a level playing field. When she's facing a threat, she fights differently. She's got the better striking. Um, I guess overall, she's probably the better athlete. I don't know that she's a better grappler. And I don't know that she's physically stronger than her because I saw what Jennifer Meyer did to her. And that was very concerning. Um, on paper, basically, Andrade should just walk in, throwing haymakers, trying to get takedowns. And Valentina should clean her clock and knock her out inside a half a round. I actually think it's going to be a lot more difficult because Andrade has developed as a fighter. She's technically, she's still awful, but at least she has an identity of a fighter. She knows to attack the legs, attack the body, attack the head. She attacks on multiple levels. She stays in front of you. She's constantly getting her hands on you, trying to lean on you and pull on you and take some of the spring out of the shots. She fights in a technically sloppy way, but a very intelligent way based off her physical tools and uh, the physical limitations she has as far as her height. So I personally think it's going to be a, a fairly, fairly uh, exciting fight. Um, it's another fight I don't see going five rounds. Um, Jessica Andrade is kind of a feast and famine person. If she's, if she's winning the fight, I don't know that she hits it hard enough to get Shevchenko out of there. But I know that when you throw that kind of volume and that kind of pressure, at some point you're going to run into something. And if she runs into something against Shevchenko, I don't think she makes it the full five. I mean, Rose Namajunas almost had her out there. And um, I think Shevchenko is fully, fully capable of doing that. But the fact is she's going to be a little gun shy early. And I think that's going to give Andrade a chance to build momentum and get some rounds underneath her belt. Just the matter is, can she maintain that momentum or does Shevchenko ramp it up in a spot or two and essentially turn the fight and win it on help? Winning on a dime. Uh, who do you see winning this fight and how? Man, I really, you know, I really don't know. I, I'd, stylistically, I have to say, stylistically, I have to say it's Valentina Shevchenko because she's a counter puncher. Um, she came from Bantamweight too, and she was much more successful at Bantamweight than Andrade is. She's got the length, she's got the mobility, she's fairly balanced. But something, I, I just get this feeling like. I don't see a lot of depth. From, I see a lot of depth from Shevchenko, but she basically fights the same fight against everybody. She really does. It it really never changes. It's not based on the opponent. It's not based on what they show. It's kind of she just generally does the same thing against everybody. How aggressive she is with it all depends on the physical threat you pose to her. When you don't pose a physical threat to her, she's a killer. When you do pose a physical threat to her, she's a little bit more careful. She picks her spots. She's very careful not to overextend. And I, I just feel like I really feel like there's a spot in those transitions and in those entries where Jessica Andrade um, could really clean her clock if she can get to her. You know, I, I'm just going to say Andrade wins this. It's most likely she doesn't because she comes in so wide open. But I, I really feel there's some spots that if Jessica Andrade gets her into, she will either submit her, if not just stoppage by strikes. It, now, mind you, I'm, under, I'm aware of the, their history. I'm aware of their skill sets. I'm aware on paper this fight is a clear, should be a clear win for Shevchenko. But as good as I thought she is, I've never bought into her the way that other people have. Half the reason Amanda Nunes struggled with her is because Nunes' gas tank still sucks. I've never seen somebody who could take the shots and maintain a pace against her. She's never faced somebody who could take her shots and will continue to stay in, stay on her and stay in her face. I believe Andrade has the durability and the mindset to just keep going if she can get if she can get any foot in the ground and build any momentum whatsoever i believe she will continue to build on it 
And it's going to be Valentina's job to stop it and turn the nature of the fight. And I don't, I don't know if she has that in her right now. I haven't seen it against a comparable level of athlete. Interesting thoughts there, sir. Anything else on this card stand out to you? Um, I'm interested kind of in the Chris Weidman-Uriah Hall fight. Why? Um, just to see where – just to see – just to see where it ha- see where it goes. I mean, it's Uriah Hall's been been one of the three most talented guys in any year he's been in the UFC. And even though he's been one of the most athletically talented guys for years, he's never really been considered an elite fighter. And he's getting Chris Weidman at a time when Chris Weidman is never going to be more vulnerable. I mean, he's never going to be more more vulnerable than he is right now. And uh, a loss to Chris Weidman, I don't. I don't know what that does to Uriah Hall's confidence. I know what it does to his standing in the sport. And I know it essentially puts Chris Weidman on a short list of contenders. This is a real high-risk, low-reward fight for Hall. Hall beats him. It's like, so what? He's been on the decline for years. If Hall loses this fight, then everything he's done the past three four years just goes out the window, and it's a huge setback for him. Athletically, he's got the power to knock him out. He's got the speed to knock him out. He's got the strength to at least neutralize the wrestling and spots. But the, athletically, it's never been the issue. It's mentally. And even in his win against Anderson Silva, he still early was not pulling the trigger. He was still getting out work. He was still being bullied and mentally shook or p- being put out of position by Anderson Silva. Weidman is declined, but Weidman still has an air of a championship fighter, and he still has the experience of a championship fighter, and he still has a win over Uriah Hall. So if Uriah Hall hasn't exercised all those demons and he lets Weidman get some momentum um, – it, it could get ugly really quick. So I'm very interested to see how this fight goes. I'm not. Um, I think it's going to be a very slow pace uh, rehash. Talk to me about boxing, Swan. What's going on in the sports circle? Um, Adrian Boner, I think, might be going over the thriller, I heard. He's trying to get more fights to be more active. So uh, I've heard that he's he's considered going to thriller. I mean, obviously, they're paying big money because they need legitimate fighters along with their sideshows. So, so that'd be interesting to see because Adrian Broner demands a certain kind of money. And as much as they give sideshow matchups for the YouTubers and the MMA fighters, they don't seem too particularly interested in giving the real fighters easy matchups. Like, they use those fights to help solidify the legitimacy of a card. But they might pay him top money, but they might demand he face a pretty legit, credible opponent, at least at first, and then probably had no had to fight a name opponent pretty soon after that. So um, I'm very interested in seeing how that fight goes. Um, outside of that, uh, I know Devin Haney's fighting uh, Jorge Linares. That'll be a good fight. A multiple world champion, Jorge Linares, one of the better offensive fighters technically, just a guy who's a little shot-worn at this point and who's never had a good chin. But the fact of the matter is he's a tough fight for Haney because Haney hasn't been fighting guys with comparable IQ, comparable athleticism or comparable boxing skill. He's been basically been involved in assaults. He's 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 had like 20 something wins. He has no losses, but most of his fights aren't fights. They're assaults. He's facing guys who are worse athletes, worse technicians, with worse level experience and worse resumes than him. So it's basically one way traffic in his fights. So for the first time in a long time, he's not just facing a guy with some accomplishments, but a guy who's shown that he has something left and is still considered a high end fighter. To be quite honest, Devin Haney hasn't fought anybody of note. Not really. Not anybody world-class, not anybody remotely close to world-class in the entirety of his career. So this is the big fight for him. He should win it because this fight is being made for him to win against a guy who doesn't have the greatest chin and who has lost a step. But once again, this is the best opponent he's faced by leaps and bounds. So it's very possible that he could lose the disputed decision. I don't think he could get knocked out. He probably wouldn't even lose the decision either. But this is a very risky fight because if he struggles with this guy, it takes some of the shine off of him as far as being a potential face of the sport moving forward. What are some big fights we should keep an eye on? They don't really have a lot of big, big fights coming up. I mean, Canelo's going to fight BJ Saunders. Yeah, That's a big that's fight. Because Saunders is a name, and Saunders won world championships and all that stuff. But Saunders isn't really all that great, dude. He's, he's plateaued as far as the skill set. So unless he breaks out something that I haven't seen him break out in years, I don't know how he beats Canelo. Canelo's a better offensive boxer. At this point, he's a better defensive boxer. He's in better shape, fights harder for more rounds, and he, he's been consistently fighting guys, excuse me, guys who were at least competent and well-schooled fighters, and he's been doing so consistently. BJ Saunders has been fighting here, stopping, fighting there, stopping, fighting here, stopping. So while the fight has a lot of name value, 
because he's from the UK and he's going to have all those fans and he's he's kind of polarizing as far as the character and he's won multiple titles and he's defended them and he's considered dominant champion. On paper, it, it does not look very uh, very appealing. So, and the only way it becomes appealing is if he does something, he does the opposite of what he's known for, which is actually being slick and, and avoiding exchanges and kind of pot-shotting guys. The only way it becomes exciting is he decides he's going to bite down and be an aggressive an aggressive boxer puncher. And I don't think he's going to do that after, I don't think he can win that way. And I don't think he's going to risk getting stopped by fighting in the way that is going to make it more exciting for the fans. You know, he takes that fight. If he does that fight that way, it's very exciting. It's not a winning fight for him. And I don't think he's willing to take those kind of risks. Okay. And why don't you let everybody know what you're working on, too? Um, I did an article for uh, – I've done a bunch of articles, actually, recently. Just released the uh, Painkiller out article, breaking down a character from Black Lightning. I did another fight article uh, for Black Lightning for the character Thunder. Uh, I also, in advance, wrote an article for uh, – MMA ratings, doing breaking down a scene from Stargirl, Wildcat versus the Tigress, and I actually did an actual MMA article, which I don't know if it'll make it or not. Um, they got a lot of stuff going on over in MMA ratings, but it's going to be a different look at Valentina Shevchenko, where I kind of explore the fact that people consider her this vicious puncher, vicious killer, vicious technician, but when she faces people who are a threat, she you don't see nearly as much as that technique, you don't see nearly as much of that viciousness, you don't see nearly as much of that dominance as when she's facing lesser threats. And she's posing the question that since Jessica Andrade is posing a threat and actually has the physicality and athleticism to match her in certain spots, maybe we don't see the same Valentina Shevchenko. In fact, maybe we see a more vulnerable Valentina Shevchenko. Good stuff, sir. I am um, getting back into the flow of things. We got some stuff coming up under my sleeve, but um, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and close out this show. I want to thank everybody for checking us out on episode two hundred and one of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Schwan, thank you as always, and you can catch us back here next week for another edition of the show. Thank you, everyone, and have a great night. Have a good night, everybody.